another episode of UEMP, and for the third time ever, we're ho- we're toasting a win. Hello, Sheridan. How does it feel? It feels amazing. It feels amazing to have both been both uh, hosts of this podcast have been in a league win for Mainz, like you say, for the first time ever. Were, were you in Elfersberg as well? You were, weren't you? We, yeah. We, I was stood right next to you, mate. I, I consoled you at your uh, your shirt getting a uh, hole burnt into it. Um, by the <laughs> it, was, it was so long ago that I wasn't sure but yeah no, alright so the second time ever that we've celebrated a win together whilst presenting this podcast first time in the league yeah so I mean hopefully it won't be too long until we have another one but uh, I think until then we should discuss uh, the podcast I for my part I'm happy and I'm looking forward to hopefully as we say a few more this season um, I think we should start with some housekeeping um, and we have to apologise but we introduced a new feature after after the winter break this season, um, where we were going to discuss a man of the match, come what may, come <laughs> depending on what happens. And then the Stuttgart game was so bad that we completely forgot about it. So for full transparency, I gave it to Ludovic Jork. Sheridan, I believe you also did. I did as well. I um, Yeah, on the on the basis that I was hoping he would get his goal goal record, because I'm, I'm convinced that Ludovic listens um, and, and was going to hear us say that we'd given him man of the match and it was going to send him on a, a long goal scoring streak. Yeah, I think he does because obviously we picked up Jour de Match, which is our favourite thing to post <laughs> on a match day, uh, from his incredible graphics, which sadly have fallen by the wayside a little bit. And I'm thinking this is probably why he got out of form because he, he stopped yeah. doing all that graphic design that really entertained us in the spring of 2023. Uh, so I hope to see more of that as well as more goals from uh, the big guy uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, but yeah, so... All of that aside, let's get into it. Uh, I think when we met up before the game on on Saturday, we kind of reflected sort of similar to how we did on the podcast last week about how Bo Henriksen talks a really good game as manager, but we haven't seen his team play. So it's hard to tell, is that talk or is that genuine? And I think it's fair to say, if we just kind of preview the game a little bit, we won't go into like full detail yet, but... I think it's fair to say that there is at least some relation between him as a talker and him as a doer. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's the like, the one thing that I was scared of last week mentioning on the podcast. And, and like you say, it's what you and I were discussing um, on the way to the game was that we were terrified that it was just somebody else that was coming in with a load of hot air, talks a good game, says the things that everyone wants to hear, and then turns out to be a bit of a wet flannel. Um, but like I said, we'll get into it properly. But he backed himself up. He backed up his words. Uh, he more than did. And one player, I think, that before we go into it, sort of in full detail that we should mention is uh, Brian Gruder. So I think there were murmurs last week about the training being really intense. I think we might have mentioned it on the podcast. Um, I definitely read a lot about it online. There were some news articles and all that kind of stuff. So little did we know when we turned up to the game on, on Saturday that basically Brian Gruder was doing a rondo in training on Friday, um, ended up sustaining a massive cut on his face in a challenge coming together with Sylvain Vidmer. Um, basically, like it, the kind of like injury that you would rarely see a player sort of play, let alone a day after. Um, and just decided, do you know what? Like, I want to play, you know, like make me available. I'm going to do it. So Bo Henriksen puts him in the starting lineup and... Uh, ultimately that's the kind of attitude I think Bo Henriksen and Christian Heidel as well have both spoken on this that kind of attitude like speaks really well for the player and it's what we need in the situation that we're in yeah absolutely like we we, like we were stood on the terrace when the team sheet came out and then um, there was the announcement afterwards about five minutes after they released the team sheet from the official account saying oh by the way um, 
Ryan Grude has turned up in his Scarface cosplay today with like three or four stitches across his face to kind of keep him together. Um, and it, it's, it's great to see as a fan. It's great to see as an English football fan as well, that, that whole kind of like Brexit dudes kind of football thing. Oh, we're all the hard boys coming in. Um, to see a player coming in with like half his face hanging off and say, now nah, boss, I want to play. Um, we're all for that. And um, there, I mean, there was talk, tactically, there was talk of um, when Henriksen came in that he wasn't so keen on on younger players. He likes to go for experience where he can. Um, so I think it's great to see that not only did he trust uh, Brian Gruder as a young player, but also trusted the player's ability to stand up for himself and say, no, I am ready to play. I'll prove it to you. Um, and I think that shows an openness as a coach that that we might not have seen recently um, to actually put real, not only belief in the player's ability, but in their ability to uh, judge themselves and whether they're fit to play and whether they're ready to play and um, fight for the cause as it was. Yeah, and I think ultimately in the end, he wore the mask for a few minutes and then must have not liked it because he threw it off and just carried on playing. You wouldn't have <laughs> noticed that. Like genuinely, like there's there's a bit where you can see him play that like the left side or right hand. I can't remember which side of his face it is. I think right hand side of his face. Uh, like it's so swollen up. It yeah. kind of been fun to have, have been carrying around that injury. Like something. Oh, it's a cut on the face. What what can it do? But. I mean, that's the kind of thing. If, if, if something strikes him, if an elbow goes in his face or something, that's opening up and that's not, yeah, not fun. So fair play. We we praised Ludovic Kajorka a couple of weeks ago when he played on with a broken nose for basically a full 90 minutes. Uh, so I think we should praise Brian Garuda for that as well. So, oh, exciting. I think let's go Let's go into the lineup anyway, Sheridan. So um, really, in terms of the lineup, I think we, we kind of discussed it before game where it could have been a back three, it could have been a back four. We then saw the... the way that the team were lining up in the warm-ups and it's very obviously a back three with Dominic Kaur, Sepp Vandenberg and Andreas Hanja Olsen um, playing centre-back. Uh, Cassie, Amvena, um, Amiri, Barrero, Zentner obviously in goal. Um, also playing in the front three was uh, Brian Gruder, as we mentioned, Jason Lee returning from uh, the Asian Cup um, and Karaman uh, through the middle. Um, so really it's quite a similar selection to what we've seen in recent weeks you know a couple of differences in terms of personnel um so really what was different rather than the um man-for-man selections and the, the actual tactics of the game was actually probably just the intent yeah exactly it was it was spoken um during the week when Henriksen came in that he favors a 3-4-3 uh formation certainly what he'd been using at Zurich um, and there was there was a lot of murmurs when the team was released saying, "Oh God, it's a it's a back five. Um, because I think under Ziva and certainly under Svensson, it would have been a back five. Cassie and Vena um, on on the two wings would have been held back, would have been been asked to perform more defensive duties. Um, but Henriksen set up in a way that allowed those two players to go forward and do what they're very good at. We've seen a lot of both players going forward, and they have shown um, that they are very capable um, in those positions. So. You know, once the team's lined up, once we'd got beyond the, oh God, it's a back five on paper, and you actually saw that it was going to form with a back three with the two attacking win backs, um, there was there was a bit more of a, a vibe a vibe about it. It was a bit more um, looking forward to it, and certainly the first five minutes, the way the team came out um, was indicative of what we've been craving from a Mainz team um, all season. Yeah, absolutely. within the first couple of minutes, I think Anisovo has already sort of laid down the gauntlet and uh, given Augsburg's defence a real run for their money. Uh, I mean, a lot of it was kind of decent 
territory really for us it wasn't necessarily boiling down early on to like loads of chances um lots of long balls and flick-ons like we've seen before but it's just that there seemed to be a confidence I don't know if it's just one of those things where you kind of you get yourself into a headspace of this team has definitely been spoken to differently than the way that they have done and have been in the last few weeks I've then seen them play 10 minutes where they have just like put Augsburg straight under the cosh and I'm starting to think you know that today's going to be different uh, maybe that's like just you know I'm using the available information and I'm reading far too close into it but it just really felt like a very very positive start yeah 100% we were high in the press we were firm in the challenge um, there was a confidence about us I wouldn't go as far as to say there was a swagger but there was certainly a more confident um, style of football even it was occasionally the longer ball but the the longer ball was directed it was hit into channels it was picked to a man it came to a man um, it wasn't just hopeful dinks forward in the in the, the look of someone might run onto that um, so everything kind of there was more structure to the play um, it was just extremely positive and the fans noticed it immediately and got behind them in the stadium um, and I think the players noticed it within themselves because it's a squad that ultimately hasn't changed a great deal from last season. Um, you know, there's not a, a bad group of players. This isn't, if you looked at it on paper like we did before the season and like a lot of the media did, it's not a squad of players that should be fighting in the position it's in, realistically. Um, and and the way they went about thing, and, and we can't say if it's because it's just a new manager or if it's the way they were training during the week, or if it's the the belief that's been instilled in them. But it was it was certainly something different, um, and it, and it was fantastic to see. Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of those things where you kind of look at it and statistically throughout the season, we've not probably been one of the worst two teams in the league. Like obviously, in the actual end results, we have been because we are seventeen from the table for a reason. Um, but in terms of a lot of the performances and games, there's definitely games that you can look back on and say on a different day the ball falls differently and we get more points. And then if you look at sort of underlying numbers, and obviously there's a lot of flaws of something like expected goals or something like that. But um, we have we have kind of basically been massively underperforming our expected goals going forward, and then also underperforming in terms of preventing expected goals against us. Uh, so you look at us and we're like, I think our, we're so far down at the bottom of the table that like it doesn't show the whole number um, on the uh, on the grid that I saw. Um, so there's definitely been, there's an element to which of like all you have to do to a certain extent, not all you have to do, but something that actually will hopefully happen and hopefully will help us is like a certain regression to the mean where it's not going to make us an amazing team overnight, but potentially start to just pick up a few more of those results and breed that confidence and it's a chicken and egg scenario of like you need the confidence to get the results and you need the results to build the confidence. So it's quite nice that we've had this circuit breaker of um, Henriksen coming in, seemingly charging them up, getting them all excited against the opposition that was kind of sat there for the taking almost. Uh, and it's all kind of worked out and gives us a sort of fresh uh, bit of expectation going into the coming weeks. And if we continue talking about the game, I think what was really interesting is that as the first half drew on, there were certain moments in which in previous games, you could have started to get wound up and annoyed about things not going your way. There was a, a penalty rightly not given for her, for handball, uh, where there's like a shot from the edge of the area that's sort of blocked. It does hit a hand, uh, but for me, never a handball. Um, I think Barrero gets held back at one point, And again, that's not given as a penalty either. And those are the kind of things that I think in previous games, just those small moments could have built up a little bit of tension in the crowd or even among the team to think, oh, this isn't going to work out. And Augsburg had those forays forward, but they just kind of seemed to stay at it and ended up f- closing out the half in a very positive way. 
Yeah, absolutely. It was. I, I think one of the reasons that people weren't getting as frustrated with, certainly from a fan perspective, weren't, weren't getting frustrated with these decisions is because you could see from the players they were getting themselves in situations which meant we would have been able to solve problems. So, you know, in, in previous games, it was we have that one foray forward and, and you have that moment where you think, well, that's clearly a penalty or that pass needs to be better or why have you not made that run? And you get frustrated because you don't know in the next 5, 10, 15 minutes if you're going to have another situation. So you start thinking, you know, that was the one chance. Why have we not taken it? Or why weren't we given it? You know, or we know at the other end that that decision would have been given. But you could see in the players, like, like we go back to the first five minutes, like Gruder, the way he was throwing himself about, not only in the high press, but he was making challenges, winning the ball high up. Odizivo was was running the channels brilliantly. Um, so these ball forwards weren't just hopeless ball forwards. They were actually holding up and allowing us to bring other players into the game. And that creates a sensation of, OK, if we don't get a decision this time, we know that we're confident enough, we're good enough, we trust enough in ourselves that within the next five minutes, we're potentially going to get a decision. Um the handball, I haven't seen back. I can't say whether it was a penalty or not. Um, we did create the opportunity, like you say, where the ball was laid across the box and uh, Jason Lee smacked it on the underside of the crossbar. You've got to finish that, JC. It's an absolute 100% chance, but he's not taking it and it's bounced away. And then the, the ball's kind of come forward again. And I, I don't know who it was. I'm assuming it was Amiri. Was was so clearly body-checked. Was it was it Amiri or was it a Barrero? It's not shown in the highlights. Um, oh, the, the penalty one on Barrero, yeah. So on there Barrero. Was on there. Yeah, there was shouts. It was also checked by VAR, so I, it's not in the highlights. I've kind of, I've not watched the whole game back. Right, okay. I just sort of, I'm going to enjoy this one in real time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was really hard to tell from where we were if it was actually a foul or not. I think, I feel like the ball was probably gone by the time he was actually sort of yeah. caught anyway. But Look, from where I was stood, it looked like the ball was gone. And that's the problem I had with it because it looks like the player then runs across and checks him. Um, and if the ball's gone, then he doesn't need to be going anywhere near the man. And for that me, that's a foul. But, you know, like I say, it's not in the highlights package, so I can't say 100%. And it was at the other end of the ground. So if I'm going to really stick with it, then I'm really putting my neck out. And that's, you know, probably not the wisest move. <clears throat> um, but yeah, going back to it, it was uh, it, it was very obvious that, that, that there was that, I keep mentioning the word, I kept me at the belief, and we had it in the fans because, okay, we didn't get the penalty. Lee hits the bar. We don't get another penalty. Um, they come up the other end, um, and and there's a is it a corner cross, whatever it is. But Vargas Vargas gets a, an excellent head to the ball, um, which forces Zentner into I think his first save of the first half, possibly his only save of the first half. Um, only one I can remember, yeah, yeah for sure. He he still needs to get to it, and he does well. And it's just this this building of momentum of okay, we're not one 0 down. Yeah, okay, things aren't a hundred percent going our way, but we're moving in the right direction. And then we get a free kick down uh, in the in the far corner. Um, Amiri, his third, fourth game for the club at this point. Set piece specialist. The crosses he's putting into the box. The like, the actual dead ball situations. In comparison, I've been complaining about Eddie Fernandez all season. The the difference between the two is is sensational, and that's shown by this this lovely cross that Amiri puts in. Um, set Vandenberg uh, gets ahead of Finn Darman. Um, and, and nods us into the lead and, and sends the place wild. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the analysis of the goal, I think it's really just the case of very nice cross, very good run. <laughs> Heads it past Pindam, there's already much anyone can do about it. It's just, yeah, the exact sort of thing that you want to see coming off the training ground. And it's a great moment. It was a minute before the end of the 45, so perfect time to be scoring, really. Um, 
I mean, yeah, it, it, it wasn't really emblematic of like what we'd been doing so far because I think we hadn't been necessarily looking really dangerous from the set pieces up until that point. It was more about, similar to that Lee chance, just like creating plays by sort of going from side to side to side. Uh, I, f- I think with, with the Lee chance, I think we, we do, I mean, he has to score. We have to sort of praise, firstly, Gruder's burst through midfield and the pass through to get it to him. And then you also actually... Like the thing that I didn't realise in the stadium, watching back, no, then noticed is Amiri's role in all of it, kind of running over the ball to just take the defence away from him and actually make it into a 100% chance for Jason Lee. Because if anything, the pass is maybe slightly undersold, w- would have slightly undersold him without the, the runner sort of taking everyone away from him. And uh, yeah, it's just very unfortunate. But having having then missed that opportunity that was sort of um, so disappointing to then minutes ahead be, the minutes later be ahead... And then shortly after that, then get a penalty uh, through, of all people, Philip and Vayner being in the six-yard box in open play, which, <laughs> again, it's like, yeah, he, he was a fullback. He would have been very much sort of far back <laughs> under previous managers this season. Um, it just felt, you know, this couldn't be going more right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I remember, obviously, I was when the goal went in, I remember uh, going wild, as we do. Um, and then thinking like, immediately, oh, I'm going to have to do a podcast on this. My entire shtick has just been ruined by a flying ginger Dutchman. Like, I'm going to have to talk about something positive. Um, but obviously, loving it. Um, and and but it was good as well because okay, then there was the break through the protest. But we kept on the on the on the boil a little bit. We it wasn't just okay. We've got a goal now. We're going to sit back and and hold on to a one nil win. It was okay. We've got the goal. We deserve the goal. Let's see if we can go and get another one. Uh, and and that was shown by by Philip and Vayner, who classically this season has been playing as a a right back, um, popping up behind the defensive line, only behind the defensive line, but in the sixteen yard area, eighteen yard area, sorry, um, <laughs> sixteen meter area in German, obviously eighteen yard area in English, popping up in 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 there and Finn Darman uh, wiping him out. Another situation which was. For my mind, clearly a penalty, which the referee didn't see and, and had to go and have it checked by VAR. Why he needed that being checked by VAR, I couldn't tell you. Um, in that situation, the player has either been taken down by the goalkeeper or he's dived. And one of them, you have to make a decision either way. I don't think you can let the play run there. One of them's getting booked and then you check afterwards. But whatever. That's uh, that's my complaint about referees for the day. Um, but we won the penalty. Um, we come up to take it. It's our fourth penalty of the season. And Amiri... I, I want to say it's a good penalty because the, it, it, it's hard, it's low and it's into the corner, but it's obviously not a good penalty because it doesn't go in um, and it crashes against the underside of the post and bounces back out um, and, and we don't score from it. And and I think that was the first moment in the game where I was thinking, oh no, here we go again, because it, it was just kind of classic, get your hopes up, got a chance to to pull away and start start really building on something, which we haven't done at all this season um, and, and, and we miss the opportunity. Um, but I, it, again, I, I thought as well, you know, having watched the highlights back, the way the ball bounces back out of the goal, I think earlier in the season, you can't 100% say this. There's no definitive way of measuring whether it would have happened or not. But I think if the opposition takes that penalty and it bounces off the underside of the post in the way it does, it crashes off the keeper's back and goes in, uh, which didn't happen for us in this instant. Um, but we, we managed to get back in at half time, still a goal up despite that miss. And it was 
very positive half-time discussing the game. Yeah, I mean, it's it's literally a couple of millimetres from grazing the inside of the post as it goes in. So it's, from that side, it's, it's a couple of millimetres away from being like the perfect penalty against the goalkeeper that's very good at saving penalties as well, which I wonder if like players are aware of this kind of thing and it informs like how perfectly they try and strike things. But of the four penalties we've missed, it's definitely the best one this season. It's the best one. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> so I, I never want to see Ludovic Ashok taking a penalty again. Uh, thankfully, we don't have to see Eamon Barcock taking a penalty again, at least this season season because uh, he's gone to Hertha um, I, I I don't mind if uh, Nadim Amiri gets the chance to take another penalty again because you know it was so close to being so right and against another goalkeeper on another day it might be okay um, I still I still would rather have a fullback taking it and <laughs> as I've said over many points over the season but yeah it was it, it's just because it was basically the last kick of the half it was such an interesting moment for the trajectory of the game in terms of 44 minutes in, we've gone one ahead. Uh, probably 45 plus two, 45 plus three is when the fouls happened. Those four minutes of added time. It's taken a while for the game to sort of stop to have the VAR check and then for the penalty to be taken. So it's 45 plus seven or something like that by the time that Invader finally misses. Not Invader finally misses, he's the one that's fouled. Uh, by the time that Amiri finally misses. Uh, so it is basically the last thing that happened in that first half. And it's just basically a... At 2-0, you basically put the game to bed on the stroke of half-time because what's uh, Yestorup going to say to his team after that happens? Uh, for Bo Henriksen, it's a very, very easy team talk at that point as well. Just keep going out what you're doing and pick them up, up, up uh, off on the break. And then it, it, it gives you that doubt in your head of like, well, is that going to get into their heads again after all of all that we've seen? Um but no, they actually came out of the traps second half. I mean, there was only five minutes or so of the second half before we had the protests um, that delayed the game then by a further 15 minutes. Um, but in that first five minutes, we could have scored twice. Uh, Hans Olsen has a, a free header basically ruled out. I think in the highlights I saw, they were talking about how he's offside, but then it looks like he's onside because there's an Augsburg player like kind of hidden behind uh, someone. So for me, that looks like it probably would have been a goal. And we just looked very, very dangerous. And they were they were camped in at the edge of their 18-yard line. So from that point onwards, I was like, you know what, I'm actually quite confident today. I think I think this is going to go away. Yeah, I agree. I was, we've talked regularly um, about players stepping up and, and taking games by the scruff of the neck or a coach taking a game by the scruff of the neck. And it was what they showed, not only in the... Uh, in the going one nil up and then missing a penalty and then pick, coming out from the sec for the second half and picking themselves up the floor off the floor and, and carrying on in a way that they'd obviously come out to to, to start the game and play the game um, and it was it was um, it was really interesting to see such a difference um, in, in the way we were able to say we're at home this is the style of football we're playing and actually pushing a team so far back that they are just defending and we were playing the football that we wanted to play. Um, it was it was a shame. I haven't seen the the Hunter Olsen chance. It wasn't shown in the highlights I watched. I don't know where you've watched yours, but we've clearly watched a different package because I've not seen it. <laughs> um, um, but it was it was so it was so good, and it was it was just such a fresh feeling that we've not had for such a long time watching Mites. Um The players were showing it, the fans were showing it, and then there's a couple of moments where you look across the touchline and you watch Henriksen, and it's not just in his press conferences that the man's a wild card. Like on the touchline, he was up, down, jumping around, doing the hokey pokey, just trying to watch the football. I think for the penalty, he ends up sinking to his knees, Alan Mourinho. Like the the man is. It is so charismatic. It, it's brilliant, and it's just such a change in 
emotion and, and change in the way you, I view the game, the overall experience of being in the stadium. When I look over at the manager of my new team, who's he's been in the city for a week. It wasn't like it was, I think it was 10 days ago first that somebody picked up the call and said, Hey, look, do you want to come to Mainz? And it looks like he would, it looks like he would run through walls for us. Like he would run through hot coals. The man bleeds Mainz and he's only been here for a fortnight. It's brilliant. Yeah, it reminds me of when I first came to Mainz back in 2015. (laughs) I'm going to have to pull you back here though Sharon it, hokey pokey and it's, it's definitely the hokey cokey mate I don't know what you're on about hokey hokey cokey hokey pokey whatever it is whatever language yeah. you want it's we'll put, we'll, we'll put it to the people <laughs> but the way he was <laughs> dancing around he, whatever you call it I want to see more of it yeah I mean he really he was on his knees after the penalty like you said I, I just kind of like you know that it's going to make the dugout an interesting place to watch for the rest of the season when we're in the stadium you can kind of for a little bit of the game, if it's a bit of a dud, focus on it. Arms just absolutely everywhere, sort of directing people um, here and there. Um, and yeah, it, like I think you can you can basically say now, like if he's the kind of guy that you walked into a pub, like you would basically register like this guy's a character straight away <laughs> because yeah, just the, the personality he's brought into things. I, th- I think just kind of, yeah, just give you a little bit of a focal point, give the players sort of something to focus on. It'd be interesting to see how we talk about it if things go start to go sour at some point which you know inevitably there'll be runs of form that are not so good um it'd be interesting to see like how he talks then in terms of sort of still taking us along and keeping us positive but yeah for for this one game on this one afternoon um it seems like the start of something quite fruitful and yeah i think the only thing obviously like we said it must have been five maximum 10 minutes into the half with this long break due to the uh, sort of tennis ball protests uh, which in this case was then by both sides there was the exchange of songs um it always it always feels like it's about to wrap up and then it carries on again which i'm sure <laughs> must be frustrating for sort of the officials and stuff involved i think what's interesting with this and like we've been we've been following the protests in different games and all of that sort of throughout the um weeks and well weeks and months now at this point it's been what three months that this has been going on um Started off with chocolate coins. We've had tennis balls. I think there were locks chaining things to the the goals at some point. Um, most interestingly, there was uh, smoke bombs on re- remote control cars this weekend, which I loved. I think there was a drone at the Freiburg Bra- uh, Frankfurt game as well um, this weekend. So the, these protests are taking a lot of forms. I think what's really interesting is that they seem to kind of be working in a certain way because one of the partners that wants to invest seems to have pulled out for various reasons, but this must be one of them that's not very popular. People don't want it. Um, and a lot of clubs are now starting to say that they want to go back and have another vote on it uh, kind of thing. Um, I think from a Mainz perspective, that's not been what's been said. Um, so very much a very a difference in opinion between the active fan scene and the club still on this front. Um, but it's, it's very interesting to see that a lot of people are complaining about, oh, you're, you're ruining the momentum of the game. You're ruining it for people watching. Um, uh, you're not, it's not even going to achieve anything, that kind of thing. And hopefully it's like people are starting to turn the screw and hopefully we won't have to have too many more of these protests if uh, finally um, it has the desired impact. Yeah, it's again, I mentioned it last time. I mentioned it the week before that and I'll keep mentioning it and, and until the, the protests go away. Um, they're disturbing the football because that's what a protest is. Um, it is caused, it is there to disrupt. It is there to put a point across. It is there to be annoying because if it wasn't annoying, then it would be washed away and, and nothing would be achieved by it. If you don't like that, then I don't think you like German football or certainly the way the culture that is built around German football. The active fan scenes in Germany 
have always stood for their beliefs. They have always put forward their beliefs in um, a proactive manner. This is not a country where the fans will sit down and just accept whatever they're told. Um, and, and I think a lot of people misunderstand that. I think a lot of people potentially don't know that. Um, and a lot of the discussions that you like, we were saying at the game on, on, on Saturday, the amount of people booing and things like that is like, oh, this part of, of what this is. This is uh, football is not just 90 minutes on the pitch. If it was just 90 minutes on the pitch, then you could just sit down on, on your little television and you can watch it. Football is more than that. And certainly that's what German fan culture tries to be. Um, and, and the argument that uh, it's not going to achieve anything is, is, rubbish in itself. I mean, you've only got to look back in the last three or four years um, at the protests about Monday night games and eventually that collective action from uh, active scenes um, removed Monday night games. Um, so they, they can be fruitful. There, there needs to come a point where um, the active fan scenes, the clubs and the potential investors, the DFL, sit down and have conversations. Um, but you don't get to the point of having those conversations if you don't provide an opinion. And the active fan scenes are saying, you want to do this. We don't want that. The only resolution will be to sit down and have a conversation. But if, if you just push through and the governing bodies will do that, if there's no resistance, um, then that conversation will never happen. So Godspeed to the active scenes, to the ultras, um, to, for, for the protests they're doing and for sticking at it as well, because it's not easy. Like the, you can hear the frustration, especially from our boys. It's, we, we say this week in, week out, why are you booing? This is the reasons we're doing it. You know, we, we put out media to, to explain why we're doing it and, and we feel we have to do it. Um, and, and that can be frustrating as well. So ultimately, and like you say, it's been going on for, for two or three months now. It's frustrating for everybody. You know, we don't want tennis balls on the pitch at every match, but we're in a position where it needs to happen at the moment. Um, so, yeah, Godspeed the the ultras and the, the active scenes um, for me. And hopefully um, with Blackstone pulling out one of the companies that were involved, hopefully with CVC, I think, are the last company still involved um, and the DFL conversations, active conversations um, will start to happen and um, we can move forward as a collective, everybody, rather than um, the fans continuing to have to push against the suits, as it were. Yeah, no, 100%. I think that's well summarised and uh, it's going to be an interesting one to sort of continue to see. I'm sure I'm sure we're going to be talking about it for weeks to come and I'm sure we'll keep finding new angles. I, I just find it very interesting that like the whole topic is about trying to make the media rights for the Bundesliga more attractive and then obviously what they're now doing by not listening to fans is leading to these protests, like basically ruining a lot of the TV broadcasts, which I'm not saying in a negative, I'm just saying in a, in a sort of completely neutral way. When you're watching on TV and there's like 15 minutes of nothing happening, it's just it's not going to necessarily have the desired outcome. So they should probably the DFL this is start to listen and come to the table and actually have a have a discussion. But yeah, I f the other interesting thing to do with it is it, I think you can talk about okay, it kills momentum or it does this and that. It's just a new game dynamic that these teams have to manage because you know that it's going to be coming most games now at the moment. Um, similar to kind of the awkward pitch that we had against Union last week uh, where we were discussing how, you know, you don't know how the ball's going to bounce when it's wet. It's the same thing here. Uh, you have to be able to sort of switch on after 15 minutes of not really doing anything. And the team that's better at doing that is going to hopefully, or not hopefully, but is going to have a bit more of an edge for certain parts of the game than the team that maybe takes a little bit longer to come online. And I think in this case, 
it did have an impact in terms of the game kind of started to kind of lull along and it felt like there was long swathes of the game where not really much was happening in the second half. We still had some chances. I remember a very nice Cassie volley, Amiri shooting from a distance, uh, forcing um, Darman into a good save. Um, there was a penalty appealed against us um, for a potential handball for Mvina, which I didn't even see in the stadium, to be honest. I don't know, don't know how I missed it. Um, but I mean, yeah, second half was a very different game to the first half from the kind of up until the break, the swashbuckling, exciting football, creating chances, looking like scoring every time we went forward. Um, the second half was, it became very much about sort of seeing the game out rather than sort of adding to our lead much, much further. Yeah, it's it, one of the arguments you saw, I watched the um, the, the Bochum v Bayern game on, on television on Sunday. And uh, one of the the arguments the co-commentator gave for for Bayern suddenly conceding two quick goals and, and going into the break two one down was was because of the protest and it's an age old argument that, that that I don't think runs at all because you hear it from childhood like it's the same for both teams it's not like one team has been affected by the protest the game has been stopped both teams stopped playing football for fifteen to twenty minutes um, and and you said it exactly right it's it's about the team that comes back online quickest and and you know brushes that off and gets themselves back into what they were there to do which was a game of football um, and I think actually for us. The, the, the game kind of lulling into itself for 15, 20 minutes afterwards worked out because it, it gave the players a chance to breathe, gave the players a chance to to settle into a, a rhythm of play because we didn't need to go flying forward at that point. After an hour, 70 minutes, we don't need to go steaming forward, um, throwing the wing-backs forward and, and, and risking um, creating space behind us. Um, so we managed to get an eye on what Augsburg wanted to do. They didn't offer a lot going forward, which again was just fine for us. Um, we managed to sit back, which we I don't think we've had a chance really to do all season. Um, and ultimately it worked out. We, we started making the substitutions. I think it was after 75, 80 minutes, um, Gruda and Onizivo were replaced by Ajork uh, and, and Gankam. Was it always yeah. Jork already on the pitch? Now Jork came on, didn't he? He came on quite late, on, um, yeah. which which was another positive um, to to see us not looking for a goal, but maintaining a, a system, maintaining a, a structure. I feel at that point, if you'd bought on defensive minded players, then you would have just invited pressure on yourself for twenty minutes. Um, so I thought I was a couple of clever substitutions, like bringing in Gankam on at that point. You're looking to potentially hit them on the counter, and and if you've got pace going forward like him. Um, then, then you're always in with a chance. Um, so yeah, and then the game kind of just lulled into itself. Ultimately, we ended up with 12 minutes of stoppage time, which proved to be more stressful than I would have hoped them to be. Um, but we we managed to to hold on. We held a strong line. We were structured in our in our defence and didn't really give them a chance. Despite they they put quite a bit of pressure on us. They they you know they played the the last 12 minutes in our half. But I don't think Zentner had a save to make of any real note. Other than no, picking up was, picking up a header, um, so. I think Gilavogui made more saves than Zentner did in, the, in injury time. To be fair to him, um, it, yeah, like you say, the the, the chance was a, a blocked shot that then kind of from a header back into the danger zone. Zentner catches the ball and that's it. That's the only real like, actual direct danger. But the problem is that at the back of your head as a fan, uh, where you can't do anything on the pitch, and also in the back of probably most of the players' heads on the pitch that can do something is, I just kind of know how this could go uh, in the, the most negative case. I 
it's very interesting. It's been so long since I've seen us defending a one-goal lead late in a game. I'm trying to, thinking back, like obviously, Leipzig at home, we basically went from nil-nil to two-nil within three minutes uh, towards the end of the game. So that game doesn't really count because there was never any jeopardy that they were going to go and equalise towards the end. I think there was a late equaliser for Gladbach about 87th minute when Scali scored against us. And that's probably the last time that we were like actually leading late in a game um, and failed to close it out. But there haven't been that many chances to actually... Oh, I guess probably Frankfurt as well, where they scored an injury time uh, uh, on the second match day uh, to draw one all. Basically, there hasn't been much chance for us to sort of be in that situation of like, you've got three points in your hand and you might drop it still. Uh, So it was... One of the most in- <laughs> one of the most intense and stressful twelve periods of injury time that I've uh, watched in a long, long time. Um, but we got through the other side of it and uh, managed managed it quite well. Like you say, relatively unscarred, um, apart from <laughs> Leandro. Bre- I think it was Barrero, wasn't it? Leandro Barrero's uh, both his legs being absolutely crunched by Mats Pedersen off the ball. It's, it's one of the worst tackles I've ever seen. Like, and and I know we say that every time there's a brutal tackle. But like he's so late and it's so unnecessary. There's there's potentially a foul in the build up, but nothing that merits launching yourself into a man from behind him after the ball is long gone, ten minutes into stoppage time. And it, it's not it's not even like try to pull himself away once he realizes the ball has gone either. He continues through, studs showing, and goes through him um on his on his left ankle. And honestly, it is a miracle that he doesn't break Barrero's leg or certainly his ankle. It, I, 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 I didn't notice it during the game. Like I, I was convinced it was a red card anyway because you, you can generally tell the ball's gone. The action that takes place yeah. is, is... Body language of, of all 22 yeah, players. Exactly. The and the way everyone reacted, Henriksen, his hair fell all over the place. His arms yeah. went up in the air and he went flying around crazy. I, I mean, we've discussed that that was happening all game. You just see the, the, the... Generally, as a reaction, if you see a tackle go in and there's suddenly a 22-man brawl, like, you, it's a bad tackle. Um, but then having watched the highlights after the game, I saw you day. I, I cannot believe he goes in the way he does. I was I was furious. Like, I'm able to laugh at it now, but if I was Barrero, you'd be looking for a bounty hunter. You'd put you'd put ransom on that man's head. Yeah, I mean, I, I think like genuinely, it can't be overstated how late this tackle was because so in real time, because the the play carries on forward uh, towards the shark. Uh, and my eyes are just completely on the ball and completely on... Oh, they have completely split open their two centre-backs. We're through on goal. There's not any time left to play because that was 12 minutes into injury time. We've got we play maximum of one minute due to extra stoppages that we've had at this point. It could be 2-0. We could have this massive moment, final kick of the game, celebrating. Lovely. Referee pulls it back. I'm like, what on earth has gone on? Like, Clearly, that means that we've done something. Um, and then you see a red card brought out to... Uh, uh, Pedersen and I mean that was as good as game done basically at that point uh, so I, I wasn't too annoyed that we hadn't scored the second goal um, but then to add insult to injury I then watched the highlights and the first time I watched the highlights of this clip I still missed the red card tackle <laughs> <laughs> because it's so late that your eyes just naturally continue with the play and I'm like oh we're through here um, so I mean it really cannot be overstated I mean I think the, the the fortunate thing for Barrera is that like ultimately it ends up being quite a low tackle if it's higher up than snapping a leg. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Velocity that he's he's come through at. Just the momentum would have taken him through him and, and Barrera yeah. wouldn't have had a chance. Fortunately, he's just kind of got his feet just about low enough to 
not absolutely crunch him. Um, it's still a horrible tackle. It's it's the sort of one where, generally speaking, you're looking at sort of the league to come in and say, right, well, you usually get three games for this, but we're going to add a couple on. And yeah. it did remind me of all those years ago when um, Jose Rodriguez uh, did the exact same to uh, Dominic Core back in his Augsburg days. Uh, and I think in that in, in that instance, it was like a five-game ban. That, that seems about right to me. I'm kind of, I'm not like ultimately really really offended by it because it's like these things unfortunately they don't you don't really want to see them happening in football but they do happen every now and then ultimately it's worked out for us in terms of the players not injured he got sent off the game ended um but yeah it was (laughs) i'm just very glad that we've come out with that sort of ungrazed and uh unbattered for Barrera as well he's had a good and is an important player for us absolutely yeah if, if anybody's still listening at this point by the way and you haven't seen the tackle yet it's it's on my twitter um you can find it there you can have a quick look excuse the language i'd, I'd had a couple of uh i'd had a couple of sherbets after the game but uh like we will show the pure emotion the things i go through to uh create content for this podcast for you yeah that's one way of putting it <laughs> <laughs> so anyway the um the game ended. The final, the final whistle was celebrated like a goal. Anyway, I was just moaning about how we didn't score the two 0 but didn't need to because we celebrated that anyway. We got Humber for the second time this season, which was great. Uh, got to hear uh, Seth Vandenberg's wonderful accent. Uh, is, <laughs> he's out. got a very soft accent. I loved it. Yeah, it's, it's very nice. Uh, and on into the Mainz night, just in a happy mood for what the second, third time this season. So. Not not really much better ways to spend a Saturday, really. I, I, sometimes those one nil wins where you've kind of just been a bit nervous at the end are actually a little bit nicer than winning three four nil. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think um, because we managed to get over the line, you know, once the red card came in, I think we stopped worrying a little bit. There's all because it, it's not necessarily we thought we concede a goal, but when you go through those twelve minutes of stoppage time, you one nil up. It's a dangerous lead for a reason. You just all it takes is one wrong bounce. All it takes is one slip. Um, and you end up conceding that equaliser. So getting it over the line was was super important for lots of reasons. And then that outburst of emotion to to be able to celebrate with the people around you, and like you say, just um, a way into the night to uh, to enjoy three points. Right. So man of the match, and we're going to have a problem this time because rather than there not being anyone to discuss, we just kind of have to pull someone out of thin air. Um, <laughs> there's probably quite a lot of people that you could give this to this week. But Sheridan, who would be your man of the match for Augsburg at home? I have thought about this for a long time and I've struggled, like you say, to come up with one player because I think there are a lot of players that put in excellent performances. Um, I I think I'm going to have to give it to Amiri again um, because I think he, he just pulls so many strings. He just... Uh, he offers so much that we've been missing this season. Not only um, going forward from like his set pieces and whatnot, but, but just the... The, the intelligence of, of the piece playing football, getting himself into the right position, picking out sensible passes, playing it five yards when it needs to go five yards, playing it 25 into a channel when it needs to go that far. Um, and I, I just think he's just such a, a, a turning cog, a cog for us in the works um, that, that I, I can't look beyond him this week. Yeah, he would have been up there for me. Um, I think I just kind of was like, well, he missed the penalty, so I'm, I'm, I'm not giving it to him. Having having already said how he was two millimeters away from it being the perfect pen, um, yeah, I, I, he he had a really great game and he's been a real joy to watch. And I think had a bit more of a sort of defensive role in terms of he was playing as one of two centre mids in a four, well, two centre mids in a two really. Um, 
rather than sort of slightly more creative in a free. Um, and he still managed to just do both sides of the game very well. So I think he's a good one to mention. Um, on Isafer, I think, gets another honourable mention for sort of battling really hard. And he looked absolutely knackered when he went off. Um, likewise, Gruda, who's going to be my selection in terms of, I just think you look at, just in terms of some what you could, what one person's uh, personality or their, the choices that they make and give to the game, having that happen in training with the cut down his face and just saying, do you know what, I'm going to play or I want to play, make me available. Um, it's what put him in the team ultimately, according to Henriksen. Like, uh, because he saw that attitude, he's like, you're in my first 11. Um, and just the fearless, the fearlessness that he played with is what we were seeing from him at the start of the season. I think some of his form sort of tapered off towards the end of the year where he was kind of dealing with injuries and getting booted around by uh, defenders and all of this kind of stuff. But it, he was back to kind of that lightning in a bottle kind of um, Brian Gruder that we saw sort of early on in the autumn. Uh, so um, I think deserves it and I hope that we'll be able to name him on the spreadsheet again um, at points soon. But there are other players that you can mention. I think the defence as a unit were pretty good. Obviously Vandenberg getting the goal. Um, and I always love seeing Anthony Cassie sort of line up for a volley. <laughs> he's just he just got such great technique. And just I want him to be in the team purely for that. So um the only real negative from it all is that one of the really good performers, Hanja Olsen, um limped off injured and looks like he's gonna be missing for an uncertain amount of time with a, a muscle injury. Yeah, it was immediately obvious that he'd um, he'd hurt himself, wasn't it? You you can generally tell when a player goes down if he's if he's picked up a bit of a bruise or he's picked up a bit of a knock or if he's injured, injured and won't be able to carry on. And I think it was obvious by his reaction and the reaction of the players next to him that that he knew his afternoon was over. And that's a big shame because he's worked so hard to get himself back into the team, having got injured at the beginning of the season. Um, and he. I think he certainly showed in the first 45 minutes that that he brings such a solidity with him, not only in the defensive work he does himself, but the way he controls the defence and the players around him. And he and he dictates an entire defensive line. Um, and and he's, he's such a, I think, a leader um, that, that we, we've been missing in, in, in the defence over recent months. Um, so we'll hope that it's not too long. It's, it's going to be longer than a couple of weeks, unfortunately, by the looks of it. Obviously, depends how long he heals, having just come back from an injury as well. So I'm no doctor, I don't know, but I, I would say that might take a little bit longer than it otherwise would have done. We'll see. Um, but it is um, it is a shame. But uh, I, I think he's he's certainly a player that, that we can look forward to um, at the beginning of next season, hopefully when he's when he's back fully fit, got a full pre-season behind him if he's not back by the end of this season, um, of, of just being a real, real quality um, on the pitch. Yeah, I think it's it's a muscle tear, isn't it? So it's one of those things that could be a couple of weeks or it could be a few months. And if it's a few months, then yeah, unfortunately, probably won't see a great deal of him until the the sort of final couple of games. But fingers crossed and hopefully uh, we'll be able to sort of put out a good defence anyway uh, in the coming weeks. Because having said all of this positive stuff and how we think that things are looking up for the future, we probably have our toughest game of the season on Friday. Um, as we discussed this, it's a way to buy a Leverkusen. They don't seem to be dropping points anytime soon, uh, the way that they're playing, um, that they're a joy to watch ultimately. Uh, and I mean, now they're eight points ahead in the league as well. So it's almost a, a, at this point where it sort of seems like they're sort of onto their final straight of putting down those wins to sort of secure the title. Um, it's going to be interesting from that kind of side of things. Like, are we able to give them a game with the sort of with the win that we got behind our back and the confidence that we've got? 
to just kind of sit in there and hang in there and have the moment, kind of similar to what we did this time last year when we played them and beat them 3-2. Um, is it going to get into their heads that they're in this this big title race now where they're, they've got a little bit of breathing space? Like Now that they've got the breathing space, are they going to potentially slip up and sort of lose ground a little bit? It becomes all of these kind of like meta narratives where, I mean, if you look at it on paper, like you basically say like Leverkusen win this most most times that this is played. Is it going to be one of the few times that we come out on top or are we going to get a draw? Are we going to get anything? Who knows? Yeah, you, I, I'm just say for the benefit of, of, of those listening, you know, Leverkusen have to lose eventually. I think they're, what, 22 unbeaten now. Um, they look so strong and they're really hitting their strides at the perfect time as well. Uh, with Bayern starting to fall away, um, they're, they're starting to build this gap by, you know, you can see me on the camera. I think you can see it on my face that I'm not looking forward to Friday night. Um, anything can happen in football on paper based on what we've seen from Mainz this season, what we've seen of Leverkusen. I think there's only one winner, but but I'm clinging on to the, they have to lose eventually. So we'll see. Yeah, no team has ever gone unbeaten in the Bundesliga all season. Uh, nice little fact, nice little stat. So, um, yeah, so I mean, it, it, it's hard to do, but I kind of, I almost think like if there's any team that can do it, uh, there's there's not been a more impressive Bundesliga team since probably I don't know the the Bayern treble season, I think almost. Yeah, they, they um, look quality, like, don't they? I think it's too early to say that now. Yeah. Obviously, like the the running's gonna sort of um, be difficult. It's gonna it's gonna prove their metal kind of thing. It could all still go wrong, but um, yeah. I I I put their games on as a neutral just because I like I like <laughs> watching good football and that their games against Stuttgart this season joyous to watch so I'm, I'm hoping that from our perspective it's going to be joyous to watch and uh, you going up to Leverkusen on Friday you're going to be celebrating a win in the stadium <laughs> I, I, can, I can only yeah. hope I'm I'm not 100 I'm sure I, I'm sure I'm going to be there but the um, the lore of of Bo Henriksen's antics and the lore of just, just getting to see Shabby Alonso in person uh, is 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 one thing, but being able to watch this Leverkusen team, um, sometimes you have to stand back. Even as a fan of a, 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 an opponent, sometimes you have to stand back and, and say, Do you know what, they are impressive, and I think we, I think we're fair to say that about this Leverkusen team. So, I might just have to. Uh, make my compromises and, and make sure I'm there on Friday night. Yep. So let, let's hope that we don't disgrace ourselves. Let's hope that we're still clinging on to these positive vibes next Monday when we come to record and that it's going to be a good rest of the season. I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying doing a happy podcast show. This has been much nicer, isn't it? This is, I'm going to go, I'm going to go to sleep tonight with a smile on my face for once. It's, it's, it's a wonderful world. Well, there we go. Any final thoughts? Shall we uh, head off? I reckon we should uh, wrap it up there. We've we've said what we need to say. Um, thanks for listening, guys. Yep. See you again next week. Goodbye. Yeah.